Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Black Psychologist Podcast. Appreciate everyone being here with us tonight. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here listening and watching us. We appreciate that. It's episode 36. We're moving right along. I will be one of your humble and gracious host this evening, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, I have the honor and pleasure of working with the best there is this past, present, and future. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Dr. Jason Coleman, how are you, good brother? What's going on, my brother? How are you? Pretty cool, man. Pretty good, man. How was your holiday? Man, it was good. You know, I don't know if, if if my face is blocked, but I'm just trying to fix fix myself on the screen. But looking beautiful out there, bro. Yeah, 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 man. All right, I appreciate it. Now I'm just chilling, man. Um, good, you know, good, good time with the with the family. You know, um, you know, I obviously appreciated that time. You know, um, oh damn, I did it backwards. So you know, everything was good though, bro. <laughs> What's up with you? <laughs> uh, everything was cool. Everything was lovely, man. Uh, like we were just talking um, before we got on, you know, it was great to have that time off from work, you know, um, get that the self-care in, um, you know, like we were saying, it's like it's like being in middle school and high school. You get that break, you know, it's like Christmas every day. Yeah, you know, I'm having to be at the job. So but yeah, everything oh, yeah, is cool. Chilling, chilling with the family. Um, yeah, everything's been cool. I'm loving it. Taking yeah, trying to take full advantage. Especially that uh that little bit of rest we got, man, right? You know? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Along with that, I definitely want to, uh, you know, just to extend to everybody, you know, hopefully everybody had a great holiday. Um, Hopefully they have a good New Year's coming up. Please, 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 I encourage everyone to be safe, stay healthy. Um, You know, this variant is, is, is you know, it's running rampant, man. Um, It's running wild through a lot of different families, through people. So we know folks are going to be gathering, which is cool. Just make sure that, you know, you um, are taking the necessary precautions, you know, uh, mask, washing hands, all these other different things, because um, it's real out there. The numbers are are staggering. <laughs> you know, it's been a hell of a spike, man, these past few weeks. So um, we definitely appreciate everybody watching, listening, hit subscribe, like, comment. Um, we'll be doing another live joint in the next couple of weeks, top of the new year. We appreciate everybody that came and was watching and commenting, you know, during that episode, we appreciate the participation and the interaction. Um, so yeah, we appreciate all the support. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we get started, we just, um, you know, of course, I always want to thank everybody who takes the time to listen. Um, always appreciate that. Please continue to um, like the videos, share the videos. Um, we've been getting some good feedback either via email um, or DM. So we appreciate that. And, um, like we said, we're going to keep the content coming. Um, we appreciate it. And, um, like I've, I've gotten a few article suggestions in my, you know, email and stuff like that. That's been great too. So appreciate it. Yeah. Keep it coming, man. Appreciate it. 
All right, now jumping right in. All right, so Jay, we left off talking about BTS last episode, and I'm sure you know they're probably in your playlist right now. So I don't even gotta ask about that. <laughs> so we're gonna stay with the uh, on the topic of music. So popular uh, artist, music artist Billie Eilish, you know, recently opened up about how watching porn at an early age has impacted her mental health. In a recent interview, Eilish stated that she started watching porn when she was 11 years old and that she believed that it destroyed her brain. So she says during the interview, I used to watch a lot of porn, to be honest. I started watching when I was like 11. I thought that's how you learn how to have sex. I didn't understand why that was a bad thing. I was watching abusive porn, to be honest, when I was like 14. It got to the point where I couldn't watch porn that wasn't abusive because it's all I found interesting. I was like a virgin or I was a virgin and I had never done anything. And so it led to problems that the first few times I had sex, I was not saying no to things that were not good. And it's because I thought it was what I was supposed to be attracted to. Right. And she also indicated throughout the interview that she also has problems with the way pornography uh, depicts women's bodies and different body parts. Um, she noted that's not what women's bodies look like. We don't come like that. All right. So, Jay, as you were reading through this article, what was your uh, your take on things? Uh, I mean, listen, this is a familiar conversation that I have with parents a lot of times, um, especially when we're talking about like problematic sexual behavior with adolescents um, or if we're just talking about um, in a, whether it be inappropriate touching or just exploratory type behavior. Right. So, again, um, you don't want every situation is is different. Right. But, you know, a lot of parents look at, you know, their children viewing pornography, and I mean, I'm using the word child loosely, right? So adolescents viewing pornography, meaning like teenagers, as mostly like exploratory and kind of innocent to a certain degree, right? Right. Um, and it can be, right? Meaning like it can be an exploratory thing that, you know, um, adolescents are interested in their bodies, you know, they're developing sexual feelings. So it's not unnatural to want to look at, you know, uh, people's bodies, right? Where it becomes problematic is obviously, you know, when we start looking at this article, average age of exposure for boys is 11 to 13 years old, right? First exposure. Girls, they have 13 to 17 years old. This is just what people are saying, right? Um, and then we have to look at the ease that we have in terms of accessing certain things in terms of the internet, right? Like with phones, tablets. I've even heard of kids accessing pornography over like... um playing like Xbox Live and stuff like that. I don't even know how you do that, but like that, right? So the access is there, right? But I, so I think the problem, I think with porn, exposing the children with, to pornography that young is that, you know, obviously they don't have necessarily have the capacity to like <laughs> comprehend and understand that it's not necessarily real relationships that they're seeing. Right. So you see this with, with if you sit in my chair, what you see is, you know, this pattern of kids that, you know, they're they're seeing unrealistic scripts on the screen. Right. Of how um, whether it be women or men react to individuals touching their body. Right. How consent is 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 demonstrated. Right. Um, uh, how sexual acts are initiated, all of these things. They're unrealistic scripts that are usually, you know, 
reoccurring in pornography, right? Um, and it's very easy to kind of misinterpret that if you start looking at a certain type of pornography, right? Like pornography that is violent, right? Because um, you're not going to see people consenting and all of these type of things, you know, <laughs> you know, and and it could be very easy, very easy as a adolescent or a teenager um, to internalize this as how normal relationships are supposed to go, right? Um, so it was surprising, but not shocking. But what was your reaction? Um, I'll go even further than what you said, right? When we're talking about adolescents, um, I think it is to the point where you are talking about children. Because like you mentioned, one, in, in Billy's, uh, in her situation, she said she was 11, right? So 11 is pretty young. Yeah, that's what that's what the research say. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's even younger than what they were saying, like 11 to 13, 13 to 17. But you got to think about it like you were just mentioning is the accessibility. Right. Anyone that has a cell phone, like, I mean, anyone that has a cell phone. I mean, you are pretty much like a few clicks away from infinite streaming pornography. Right. And it could be done intentionally or it could be done by mistake. It could be through an errant search. Right. It could be through email. It could be through social media posts. Or like you said, it could be through your PlayStation or your gaming console. Right. You're just a couple clicks away from just that accessibility. So think about how young one people are or kids are when they get a cell phone. I mean, you're seeing kids that are nine, eight, seven years old that have cell phones or they may get their parents' cell phones, right? If they're sitting there and they're on the phone or they're using it, the, the mom or dad, whoever's using the, the phone to keep the kid quiet or the tablet, you know, they may get access to the history. They may get all different types of ways for them to get that. So I think it's happening even younger than, like you said, than it's being reported, right? Because a lot of this is coming through self-report when they're doing a lot of these surveys. So, and that's the issue, you know, and you spoke about this also is like, coming in with that much exposure to that type of content at like a young developmental age, right? We have, we, we, we've talked about like, you know, in our field about the, um, the neuroplasticity where the brain is, is constantly reorganizing itself. And like you said, at that young of an age, you get exposed to that particular content. Like it's no way that a child's brain is going to be able to, you know, process that, right? Like any of those type of content, those values, those ideas learned from pornography are going to have that lasting impact that on that particular town. And that's what Billy talked about, right? She talked about how being exposed to that is what she made sense of it, right? Also what comes to place is that habits, right? You got all different types of habits that are built during this developmental period of time that manifest into different triggers, right? Into continuing use of the you know pornography as, as as people get older, so that's the issue that we're up against is that accessibility. And I'm not sure honestly if there's really a solution to that accessibility. Like there's really no way. I mean, you can put all different types of sensors and restrictions on the phones, and but then you also got to talk. You think about like your friends, right? You got going over to your friend's house or you're borrowing their phones or your other different things. Like you said, that natural curiosity of, you know, that exposure of the body and what all the other different things. So I think that's the issue that with this subject, people constantly are going to be, or we're just as kind of as a society, we're going to be up against. 
And there's not many ways for us to really kind of, you know, combat that type of um, accessibility, especially when things are getting more and more rapid, right? Things are becoming more and more instantaneous with the way the internet is evolving. So um, that's where I kind of looked at it, where it's just like, well, this is the issue, but I'm not sure as far as accessibility, what can you do about that or kind of to, to reduce that aspect of things? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, listen, there's practical things that, you know, as a parent, you kind of, if you're aware, like you have to do in terms of just parental controls on certain things, you know, tablets, you know, phones, all of those things. But I think you're right in the sense of um, unless you're going to not allow your child to have like access to an electronic device, you're not going to really be able to prevent them from the exposure eventually. Right. Right. Um, whether it be a kid at school, whether it be their, you know, their friends, whether it be when their cousins come over to the house um, or your or your tablet that you let them use. Right. Because you don't think that they would look at, you know, inappropriate pictures while you're sitting right next to them. Right. Or or right, right. in the next room. Right. Um, so, I, again, I, it's one of these things where you kind of do you, you do your best. Right. Like 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 any parent does. Um, but you have to understand that we're living in different times, right? So as a parent, you know, again, my suggestion would be like with most things, you got to be proactive, right? So trust me, like if, if all the kids are going to be, I'm not saying they're all going to be talking about pornography, right? But they're all going to know about certain things. You don't want your kid to be finding out for the first time from somebody, from another kid. Bingo, because that's what it is, right? Um, Unfortunately, like that's where that's like this is like the primary like method of sex education comes from right now, right? It comes through pornography or through your, you know, the peers that are also watching porn. So like that's where you know it comes in. And like you said, you don't want your kid to be like, oh, this is where they're getting their information from, right? They're getting it from James down the street, who was like, Oh, I saw this, you know on Pornhub or I saw this on whatever and he's sharing it with the rest of everybody else who doesn't have access to it. I mean, listen, practically though, sometimes you're just going to have to be re react, right? Because if your child is eight, you know, you, you're not going to, you might not necessarily, you know, have that go that far in terms of the conversation. You may, you're going to have a body safety conversation, you know? Um, but if another kid in school pulls out a phone and shows them something, then you're going to have to react, right? You're going to have to deal with that situation when your child comes home and says, listen, this is what I saw, right? But when we start getting to age 12, 13, right, um, this should be included as a part of a normal part of um, the conversation when we start talking about appropriate adult child relationships and appropriate teenage adolescent kind of relationships right um when we're talking about sexual sex education we should be talking about pornography right in the sense that we already are in the sense that i know it's it may be off-putting to some parents but um when everybody became aware of the child kind of pornography uh law with the sexting thing right all of a sudden you had a bunch of Parents telling their kids who are in sixth, seventh grade, whatever you do, don't open texts from people if you think it's, you know, 
if you think they're inappropriately dressed, right? So my, my point is, we will we react to things very well, right? Um, but we don't necessarily uh, prepare our children for, for things before they're exposed to them. Um, and I just think that by that age, it should be a part of when we talk about body safety, when we talk about sex education, um, we talk about all those things um, and we talk about responsibly, right, being um, responsibly communicating with 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 other adolescents that you may like or be a romantic interest that includes sexing, sexting. Right. Mm. Um, so you should also be having conversations with them about pornography right and the differences between pornography and real life and that's the proactive element that i want to highlight and i recommend to parents um is the literacy in sex education it's right it's trying your as best as possible to get ahead of it right for the reason that and it can be difficult to kind of navigate to think about okay what age should i introduce it that's However, the problem you know and also you know speaking as a parent like it can be very uncomfortable like, Jay, that is not a, a comfortable conversation that you look forward to having, you know, with your kid, whether it be son or daughter. Um, but it's uncomfortable, you know, because you, you it's a, it's very anxiety provoking. Like, I, I did not like that conversation. However, it was thinking of that the perspective of I it'd be better for her. Like I'm speaking in my case to have that information coming from me because she's going to get exposed to it. Right. Like you said, there are certain elements out of our control that she's going to get exposed to with whether it be to her friends or it might be on her own phone. Like, I, you know, she had a cell phone at a very young age. And like you said, kids are going to explore. They're going to look up stuff, whatever the case may be. So it's rather opening that, you know, those those channels of dialogue of saying, hey, this is what you're going to see. This is what sex is. Um, and when you see it, have a question. Right. Like you said, having to become more normal as possible um, because it is going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. However, it'd be better that they, you know, feel like they have that openness to come to you if they do see something. You are talking about relationships or their feelings, because if you don't, the other research stated that, you know, there's a link between girls being younger who, when they're first exposed to porn, have a higher likelihood of being sexually abused. Right. The other research, you know, um, displayed that. You know, the younger the person is exposure, the more likely they're, you know, to be a perpetrator or a victim of teen dating violence. Right. And that's what, you know, Eilish kind of referred to of that she was doing things that weren't good. But she thought that, you know, that that's how things were supposed to be. So when you're starting to have, have those conversations like you were just talking about and even, you know, not as early as possible. But when you're starting to recognize and the kids get into like this very curious age is had being proactive with those conversations with that literacy and sex education. So at least they're getting a frame of reference or they're getting some content from you as opposed to that, you know, fantasized source. Right. Like you said, it's not realistic. It's not we're talking about relationships. It's something completely different. I mean, again, right, that's the common theme, whether it's, you know, Billie Eilish, whether it's her personal experience, whether it's the study you referenced with the young young ladies, I think, being more likely to be um, physically abused. I, I don't know. The experience of right. relationships or the young men with the power. Right. Um, either way, we're talking about all children that were exposed to, to pornography earlier than they could really comprehend the content that they were viewing. And it results in what? Unhealthy relationships in one way or another, right? Um, 
So again, um, it's just another one of these situations where, um, you know, you just encourage parents to have that conversation. And if they don't have the skills to have the conversation or they're uncomfortable having the conversation, then you got to go get help. Right. Um, so this is where we get to the point where, where we talk about why therapy isn't always because somebody has a deficit, right? Sometimes, you, you know, a therapist will help you talk to your child about difficult, you know, transitions, the difficult situations. Or, so, again, we are talking about breaking down stigma, right? That's part of why we're doing this. Um, but, again, it's that's a conversation that I have with people frequently, right? Like therapy isn't always about necessarily um, a deficit, right? It's sometimes it's about just building on strengths, you know, or kind of adding something, you know, to uh, to the mix, right? And in that case, you know, somebody like Dr. Kyle might be able to help you with that conversation, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, something, um, you know, again, as the internet continues to evolve, this is going to be a reoccurring issue. So hopefully people do seek out, you know, those type of recommendations that you were talking about. All right. So moving along, but staying with uh, the topic of influence. All right. So a former Boston College student pleaded guilty to encouraging her ex-boyfriend suicide. So I'm going to give a recap uh, of how things transcribed uh, or transpired over the past couple of years. So in May of 2019, per an investigation, uh, in young you, and I hope I'm not butchering the name, but um, was found to have sent her former boyfriend, Alexander um, Ertula, over 47,000 text messages in the last two months of their 18 month relationship, many of which showed her repeatedly belittling him and urging him to kill himself and to go die. Right. That was some of the quotes that and messages that she sent. Unfortunately, um, Ertula, who was only 22 years at the time, uh, leaped to his death. Um, and an additional component to this tragedy is that he was scheduled to graduate literally just hours later from when, oh, wow. he, um, you know, committed suicide. Um, prosecutors determined that Miss Yu was physically, verbally and psychologically abusive towards him during their relationship. She was charged and convicted with involuntary manslaughter back in November of 2019. However, she had been fighting the charges. Now, just recently, um, as of last week, she decided to give up that appeal and pleaded guilty to the charges. Um, so, Jay, oh, this is like been happening over the course of two years, but it seems like it's just now recently come to a conclusion. Um, what was your your thoughts as you were reading this article? I don't know. Like, I, I think I had heard about this and then I forgot about it, maybe mm. um, because maybe they were in court. But I mean, obviously, this was a horrible situation. Um, very cruel, though. It's the first thing I was thinking about is just just a just a very cruel act. Right. Um, obviously, emotional abuse, obviously, psychological abuse, um, bullying, harassment. Um, but listen, it resulted in him taking his life. Right. Um, reading some of the things she was saying, go die, kill yourself. Forty seven thousand text messages. Right. So you kind of. You kind of wonder, like, like, um, again, I don't, I don't want to make this about her because I, I don't feel sorry for her. But it's like what what is going on beneath the surface with her? Right. Because. Um, you know. 
to do obviously you know this this extent of like harassment and bullying for a vulnerable person will push them to the brink right so i just wonder right because when a relationship is over um it's not like somebody was holding her in that relationship you know against her will you know so why not just step off and move move forward you know um i don't know again first thing that came to my mind was cruel um definitely emotional psychological abuse um and like what kind of person would do this um but what did what did you think like this is the uh remember how a couple weeks ago or a couple episodes ago we talked about the uh the dude uh the former NFL player right that was doing that was abusing his his um his mother's ch- I mean his child's mother and was throwing her across the room Right. So we talked about in length, like how the, the physical aspect, right, the physical abuse that uh, people are experiencing. Like this is the the verbal aspect. Right. Remember the the, the um, remember the old saying uh, sticks and stones, you know, break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And right. this, this is that's not true. Right. Because this is a case of how words can become deadly weapons. Right. This is how they can become weaponized. And this is also a reminder. I mean, not just in this case, but I think for everybody of how we should all remain aware that, you know, there's a power in words and there's also a power in in electronic persuasion. Right. Because we're talking about forty seven thousand text messages. Right. Two months. Like, that's a lot. That's a that's a lot, man. And we, we know that. You know, nowadays in this this current social climate, that text messaging is pretty much the preferred way of communicating. Right. A lot of people you can, you know, call on the phone, but a lot of people are sending text messages like people are doing the DMs and so on and so forth. Right. So that's a lot of messaging through probably someone's primary source of like communication. And, um, you know, it's like it's it was it was just I don't know, like you said, what she was experiencing. But it definitely seemed like very manipulative in, you know, in nature. Right. Like, I don't know what was going on. And I'm not aware of Alexander. I'm not aware of like his mental health or what his relationship history is or what his emotional state was prior to this relationship with and young. However, when you have someone that is continuously and repeatedly sending these type of heinous text messages, it creates a toxic environment. Right. You know what I mean? It's like relationships, you know, and I know of dealing with young people in general, right? From elementary school, middle school, all the way through college, young adulthood. Like we know that relationships with peers and even more so, um, you know, romantic relationships is like such powerful, right? We know how important they are to people, especially like young people, because that's, that's, you know, they're a very social, you know, social, socially oriented. So, um, it's a situation also where we've talked about like in the past and even just in other episodes of like how several studies have found like the exposure of the suicidal behavior with one. So like what's in someone's like close social network can increase the, like the disability of suicide. So it's not out of the realm that someone could have this type of influence, especially you're saying these messages 47,000 times. I'm not saying that's what every message says, but if you're constantly getting that message, especially from someone that you care about, because we're talking about 18 months of relationship, that's a long time to be in a relationship with somebody. And if someone you care about is constantly saying and saying these, these, you know, ill intended things. Yeah. That's going to have some influence on it. I mean, listen, I agree. Um, 
one other thing I will point out um, is just, again, another thing that makes this story kind of unique is that, you know, if we if we look at the statistics, you know, men don't usually report when we talk about abuse, abusive relationships, right? Mm. Um, so I think that's one thing that we need to also emphasize, right? Because when we talk about victims of domestic violence, whether it be physical, emotional, psychological abuse, um, or uh, these type of victims, um, men usually fall through the cracks, right? Um, so these are some of the victims that we don't see as much, <laughs> um, but they're just as important. Um, so I think it's important to point that out. Um, the other thing I would say is, I, the only kind of thing I could say that was like the most productive thing that came out of the sentence was her being required to go to mental health treatment, right? Because she got a 10 year suspended sentence and a two point, no, she got a two and a half year suspended sentence. And I think she got 10 years probation or something. Right. Um, I don't even want to debate the time aspect of it. Um, it just kind of feels like it wasn't, it's not enough punishment to me. Mm. Um, so that's why I said, you know, I feel like the most productive thing that kind of came out of the sentence part is her having to go to mental health treatment because there's really some things going on beneath the surface with her. There has to be, you know, um, anybody that does that, that would do this, right? 47,000 Texas. I mean, I think all people, not all people, but we would be having a lot bigger debate if we were talking about somebody sending one or two mean texts and then another person reacting to that, you know? Um, but this goes way beyond that. Um, and it seems like kind of intentional harassment, bullying, and kind of pushing somebody who's already vulnerable to do something impulsive, right? Yeah, it's, um, I want to say that um, the plea, part of it, the reason why it was accepted is because I think they were in contact with the victim's family. Um, and I think they, I think they were okay with it. Because I think they were just trying to move through the process of like, forgiveness they stated that that's what alexander would have wanted you know so um you know that was something because i was along the same lines as you i'm like well this doesn't seem fair right it doesn't seem like that but the two and a half years is even enough time um and of course you know we have to get into the legal aspect i don't know when involuntary slaughter what that carries whether it's you know you know minimum maximum I, i don't know um but that was one thing at least if the family was you know, was consulted and they were okay with it, then, you know, um, you know, I guess you kind of kind of let things be, but, you know, I, this, this highlights that, you know, and I'm not sure that an example like this will make it across like airways and will make, will gain a lot of attention, although it should. Um, but you know, this, this highlights like what people do or say via text or on social media has extraordinary consequences. You know, it does like, you know, it can be life or death consequences, unfortunately, in, in Alexander's case, and it can be legal consequences in her case. So, you know, you would you would hope that more people would be more aware of what they say because they're what their words say definitely holds a lot of weight. Unfortunately, I don't think it will. But absolutely, this highlights like you know, there are consequences depending on how, you know, things result. So I, I got a general question. So I want to move kind of obviously we're talking about this under the umbrella of kind of this story, but in general, right? Like, cause I wrote this down, like how responsible are we 
for the mental health of other people, right? Because this is a clear cut kind of story. That's why when I started talking about it, I was like, to me, it's clear bullying, clear harassment. She's telling somebody, go kill yourself, die 47,000 times, right? But I think what is more the norm is somebody, let's say just somebody, man, male, female, man, woman, I don't know, maybe they're mad, maybe they just want to get rid of the person, maybe they don't have emotional regulation skills, just being mean, whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. Like, how responsible are we, though? For real, right? Because I'm going to be very honest, and this may be controversial, like, I don't live in a world where it's like, I feel like every I'm, I'm responsible, I should be responsible for every person's feelings, for everything I would tweet or post, even if it's directed at them. Right. Even if it's intended to be mean, I'm not saying I'm telling somebody to go jump off a bridge. You know, we're not talking about that. But are we saying now that if somebody has an argument on social media and then they buy, they decide they're going to eviscerate the person, that's what they want to do. They're responsible now for that person's reaction. You know, um, and I'm not saying you're saying it, but I'm just no, it's saying a- no, it's just responsible. Like, where's the good, line? It's a good question. I think it's um, it's a slippery slope. I think it absolutely should be taken into consideration, a case by case basis or situation. Uh-huh. Like, I think we all in a perfect world, we should, you know, especially as we evolve to become better versions of ourselves. Things that we continue to talk about and advocate as far as keeping in mind somebody's mental health, right? Because the same way how if you have some form of morals or decency, like you wouldn't go and make fun of somebody that you knew had a, a physical disability, right? But somebody's in a wheelchair, you're not going to go on and start making jokes about that person being, you know, physically disabled. So, you know, what you and I have been trying to do is make people aware and keep them in consideration of what someone else may be going through. We don't know, right? We don't know what someone else is going through. So it's like, okay, what we're trying to do is like, okay, be aware before you say anything. We're not saying you don't, you're not entitled to be angry. You're not entitled to have a fight with a friend, loved one, someone else. But it's just like more keeping in mind, right? Of You never know what someone else may be going through. Now, I think in this particular situation, no, this 18 months, you have a pretty good idea of where that right. person is emotionally, right? Like you, right. The person I'm sure has shared things with you. You share things with them. Like, I think in this particular case, and there were, then there was a more famous case um, a few years ago. Girl, um, you talking about like, the Rutgers kid? Yeah, um, it was like they were both like 16, 17 or something rather, right? You were younger, where it's a situation where you know like what you're doing, right? You're intentionally saying, especially I think in that situation, the, the kid was already contemplating suicide. So for you to say more words and the type of the urge that person and do all these, like, again, I think in that case, no, there's some accountability, right? There's some responsibility where if you already know someone is already dealing with something is already kind of, like you said, dealing with some mental health issues and you're, you know, capitalizing on that in a very malicious way, in an intentional way for them to harm themselves because you, you're experiencing whatever, which doesn't, you know, you know, escape you or doesn't give you an excuse, you know? No, in that situation, in this particular situation, no, there is some accountability on, on her part. You know, um, other situation, like you said, flipping somebody the bird, saying something like, 
yeah, you should be aware that you don't know how that's going to impact it. But I don't think in that case, somebody should be held responsible for someone's actions. But it's a slippery slope. But 18 months. Come on, bro. Like you, you there's intent. There's you know what I mean? That's just malicious. It's just mean spirited, all types of other different things that 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 she knew that what she was doing. Oh yeah, this case, this case is is, is different. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's a little different, maybe when it's a, you know, close relationship. But we'll see, man. We'll we'll continue, you know, to uh, to take a look at it. Now, Jay, the question I have for you is: Can you eat your way to better mental health? Is that possible? Yes, you can, brother. All right, I'm happy you said that because in a recent article, um, a registered dietitian details a list of foods to eat and what to limit. If you want to feel happier and less stressed. All right. So I'm going to go down this list um, and go through some of the, the, the good foods and the, and the bad foods and how you're supposed to be, um, you know, consuming them. All right. So first and foremost, fruits and veggies, Jay. All right. Fruits and veggies. The intake is tied to happiness and other positive mood um, statuses. Right. So studies have found that on days that when people have a higher intake of fruits and vegetables, they've had better mental wellness as compared to days that they didn't or they had less uh, fruits and veggies uh, intake um, that they experienced these things. All right. Also, they said that the happiness carried over to the next day. Um as far as like their moon being their mood being lifted, and we all know that you know fruits and veggies are packed with vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants and things of that nature. What are your thoughts as far as fruits and veggie intake improving your mood? And are you on are you on that? Are you you practicing that? Yeah, man. I'm listen, man. I'm always on Chelton getting a uh, smoothie, man. You know, I'm a strawberry strawberry banana with a little bit of granola, man. Okay, you know? okay. They they you know uh, right right there on Germantown. Yeah. yeah um, that's- Nice cart. That's a good cart. Oh yeah, that's a good cart, right? Yeah, yeah, that's my we all know about that cart, bro. Yeah, yeah. Um, but listen, um, on a serious note, like again, again, talking to families and stuff, you know, diet is one thing that a lot of people neglect, right? When we talk about managing stress, mm-hmm. uh, managing your mental health, when you talk about managing your moods, um, so again, it's one of these things where um, we talk about like having a coping kind of basket. You want to be able to soothe yourself through all five senses, right? This, that's how one way I put it. So um, fruits and vegetables are a good example, right? Drinking tea, chamomile tea, right? That's, that's one way I like to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, again, one thing they talked about in this article that was important is, you know, everybody can relate to how it feels to be dehydrated, right? And how that can impact you physically, in terms of somatic symptoms and feeling cramped and all of these things and how it can impact you you cognitively in terms of your concentration. Right. Um, So diet is important, right? When we, when we, when we feel hungry, when we feel thirsty, when we feel tired and we we start to feel more anxious, we start to feel more irritable. It affects our decision-making and right on down the line, you know? Absolutely. So the drinking more water is, uh, has been linked to significant mood improvements. Um, it could also, if you, the lack of water contributes to problems concentrating and increase, like you said, intention and anxiety. It also mentioned boosting your uh, omega-3 intake, right? So that's a lot of, that's um, the fats that are fa- found in uh, seafood and in walnuts, right? They even said that having a serving of walnuts is more likely to have a greater 
intent as far as like having higher energy levels, greater optimism, and in women, less hopelessness and improvement in, in um in mood in men. All right. So those are a few good things. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. I I'm I don't like veggies, bro. I don't like them. I I, I hate veggies. I mean, I I can I'll tolerate like broccoli. Yeah. You know, some carrots. I don't know if corn pudding counts. I've been eating a lot of that, you know what I mean? But probably corn not. Corn pudding does not count, brother. Yo, I'm going to start. We're going to start making, keeping a list of all the all the strange stuff that you got going on, man. Hey, man, listen, I'm a meditarian, bro. So I'm I'm heavy. I eat, you know, the, the meats, the, the the protein and stuff. like. But I can't. Veggies don't do it. I got to get better with that. I I'm going to start keeping a list, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So the foods that we need to watch and limit. Or you need to limit your added sugar, right? So I got to fall back. Like when I'm doing like my tea, I add a whole bunch of sugar to it with the point that it just becomes, do you want some tea to go with your sugar? So I got to, I got to fall back on that. Um, eating fewer processed foods. I got to chill on that. Um, Cause I, I, you know, listen, pop that thing in the microwave or in the, um, or my, what's the name oven? What's that joint called? My uh, Things like a miracle joint. Uh, oh, the air fryer. Oh, the air fryer. Yo. Listen, bro, everything. Yo, but well, why would you put processed food in an air fryer? You because I can, purpose. because it's air fryer. You put everything it's in an air the fryer. Purpose. The, the purpose of an air fryer is for it to be healthy. Bro, I would put cereal in an air fryer if I could. So why would you put, if you eat eating bacon, yeah. if you're going to eat bacon, I ain't got nothing against nobody that eats bacon. So yeah. I, I don't come eat bacon. It, bro. Come, come with it, listen. If you're going to eat bacon, then just throw it in the pan. Why are you worried about oil? Air it's fryer is greasy great. bacon. That's fine. That the air fryer makes everything better. Oh man, get out of listen, here. That's up. Listen, so all right, I'm a work in progress, bro. But the air fryer like, is magic. That's like sitting down, eating a bacon double cheeseburger, and having a diet coke, man. Get out of here. Man, look, I ate cherry Pepsi. Forget the diet coke, yeah, right? <laughs> um, have no more than two servings of red meat per week. Um, consume alcohol moderation and keeping tabs on your caffeine intake. All right. So those are the foods that we need to watch limit. So this is a pretty, you know, this is feasible. Um, but like you said, um, you know, we, it, you have to look at it from the holistic sense. It's not just, um, you know, as far as what your mental health is not just what the information that you're getting from someone like yourself or someone from me um, and coping skills and strategies and things of that nature. Like it also, like you said, is eating. Eating has a big impact, like how we just kind of detailed it. Um, so it's the whole approach, right? It's the whole, it's your mind, it's your body and all these things. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna get better with this, Jay. All right. I am going to get better with this. Everybody out there, don't be like me as far as ignoring veggies and using the air fryer to an overextension. Okay. Because you know, you, you don't want to be like me. Making right. bacon in the air fryer. Hey man, listen, I'll put Cheerios in there if I could. All right. <laughs> All right. So the company um <laughs> Girl, you terrible, yo. <laughs> <laughs> um the company uh Revitalist recently announced that they have entered a partnership with MetaChain Technologies, okay? okay. To develop virtual mental health clinics in the metaverse with right. real-time patients and, and mental health professionals. All right. So I'm gonna break it down what the metaverse is. So the metaverse is an expansive network of real-time rendered 3D virtual world that allows real people to gather, socialize, play, and work with other people who aren't in the same physical space. Mm -hmm. All right. So the way this the uh, the metaverse, okay, um, 
the way it works, it's entitled Revitaland. Okay, that's what they're they're calling it. And it's going to allow patients to attend virtual mental health sessions with uh, revitalist mental health professionals in real time. It's also going to allow them to create cryptocurrency, um, a cryptocurrency token that can be used for payment for the mental health services. And to top it off, you can create NFTs that will act as a rewards program for the completion of a set of number of mental health sessions that clients participate in. All right. Jay, as you read this, what do you think? Um, listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Like when I first read it, it feels weird, right? But that's just because it's novel. I can recognize that. Like it feels very weird. Um, but I'm gonna tell you why. All right, this is the thing. Number one, context is important. So if it's done like telemedicine is done, then it could be helpful in terms of, you know, um, taking away borders, right? So we're talking about people in rural areas, you know, the doctor can come to you, you know, you can come to, to the doctor. It may allow people to have certain access to specialists they weren't allowed to have. Um, it can give patients a level of anonymity, you know, that they might not have before. So when we talk about different cultures, different countries, how they feel about therapy, you know, we may be opening up access to a lot of people, right? Um, those are some of the pros, right? But again, I, I'm, I'm undecided, you know, as to where I stand, you know, um, I'll vacillate a little bit because again, some of the negatives might be too much anonymity, right? Like, um, I, I'm, I don't know what the security situation will be. You know, um, I'm kind of worried about, for right now, I'm worried about like credentials. Do you need a different type of credentials to do therapy here in the metaverse? Um, I, I don't know, you know, but it's new. So that's why I started off saying it feels weird, you know, um, but my mind is kind of open right now. Um, but what did you think? I'm going to be honest with you. I was reading this late last night and um, mm. I heard the metaverse. I thought they were talking about the multiverse, bro. I thought this was like, it yeah. sounded like something out of Marvel. So I was like, yeah. let me read this again when I got a clear break. Yeah, right. what's, what's wrong with you? Yeah. So, so it's, I totally agree, right? Um, it's very innovative. It's like a very kind of uh, divergent thinking, you know, concept. Um, I like the uh, the token economy that that's being used to reduce like the uh, appointment no shows and like uh, the client absenteeism. That's an interesting concept. Right. I never really thought about that. It's pretty simple, but innovative at the same time for the reason that, hey, it's like, hey, if you continue to come to these appointments, you know, not only will you know you get better regarding like treatment, but we'll also give you these NFTs. Right. So right. you'd be able to use these. So that's that's not bad. Using the token economy for clients, uh, you know, that's that's different, but I'm open to it. Um, I'm right along with you in regards to I think it's absolutely going to reduce or it, it'll help in regards to addressing like the stigma, right? The fear and the shame um, that contributes to people um, from physically going into clinics. Right. That they need to go to to get treatment. Um so it's a, that's a decent solution. Um, 
I do share some of the concerns that you mentioned uh, regarding like the data issue, right? So with all this data and confidential information that's being shared or that's being stored on these platforms, um, are companies going to be prepared for the risk and the difficulty that it takes to maintaining the secure system, right? Like we've talked about it in the past of how, you know, some of the new wave of, of crime is that people are hacking um, health systems, right? right? And they're holding, you know, they're getting a lot of confidential information that people don't want out there, especially as it pertains to mental health. And, you know, they're taking advantage of that. So I'm wondering if, you know, these systems um, or these platforms, are they going to be prepared for that? Yeah, I mean, like I imagine, of course, there's no system that's hack proof. However, like how are they going to be, you know, um, securing this information? Because this is important. So, I mean, that that was a big concern for me, especially as it's growing, man. Like, there are more and more of these these popping up. And this, this is going to seem like a very dumb question, right? But you know how on Facebook or on Instagram, you'll get, like, these DMs or whatever from people that are your friends, right? But somebody's hacked their page and they're asking you for $50, right? Have you gotten one of these? Mm-hmm. Right? Um so my question is again, if you if you have a if you're working in so and so metaverse or whatever the case may be, and somebody hacks it, can they see your patients for the day? It's a good question. I mean, I, I just don't know how this. Again, it's a not it's a new thing. So maybe we're throwing out questions that they have already you know brainstormed and answered. You know. Um, but what's good for like necessarily like social interaction, what's good for business, what's good for um, connecting people um, may not necessarily always be good for like healthcare. You know, who knows? I mean, there's some good aspects in terms of distance, bringing people together, right? Right. Um, but there's other aspects in terms of confidentiality, um, think about some of the things that we work on in therapy and whether that is feasible in the context of a metaverse, right? You, the whole aspect, like, yes, you get anonymity. Um, yes, you take away distance as a barrier, but personal connection for some people may be lost, right? Eye contact may be lost. I don't know. Is it two avatars looking at each other? Right? Um, think about the problems that come up in therapy, you know, um, and the issues that come come up in therapy that involve development of like social skills, right? That I don't know if they if 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 you see increased results when they're worked on between two human beings. You know, I mean they have studies in here that we was talking about. Obviously virtual reality therapy has been successful for a long time so we're not talking about um we're not to, we're not talking about that you know what i mean but when we combine it in this metaverse right and you have people that might be choosing this route alone right um or this is their primary way to get their care um how is that going to impact them in the long in the long run I, who knows you know um I'm sure yeah. people, if you were to ask people about teletherapy 20 years ago, they would have probably had a different, you know, reaction than in March 2020. 
but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I can also see a lot of clinicians jumping on this because, again, it's similar to teletherapy. You could just be at home, right? So if that's cutting them down as far as like I don't have to go, I don't have to travel anywhere. Look at you, man. Look at you. You 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 open an office already in the metaverse. I'm just saying, man, like this is you know, looking at it from aspects, you can see it benefiting the clinicians and you can see it benefiting the companies because the companies are keeping overhead costs down, right? I may not have to do do this metaverse, like I may not have to actually have a physical site anymore, right? We can be doing everything electronically. So everything is just kind of moving through. I don't have to pay rent. I don't have to pay all these, like all these other different things of, of overhead costs that it goes into having a practice or having a clinic, right? Do you have a receptionist, right? Do you have like the, like the metaverse, it sounds like, and I'm, I'm noticing, and I saw like, even as I was reading this article and researching, there are more of these, these, these clinics and these metaverses popping up just under different names. Right. And so, you know, I mean, it is something that we're going to have to continue to to monitor for more developments, but I can see absolutely how on the clinician side and then actually the business aspect, you know, yeah, it, this is going to start making a lot of money, especially if you're getting more and more people that are signing up for it. Like, I mean, think about it. Patients don't have to leave. They can be anywhere and they're, they're in this 3D reality, right? So... Listen, we always get we always get off topic, but that's all right. So this is my question for you then. Are, like, are they gonna how are they are they gonna be holding people responsible for their actions and behavior in the metaverse in the real world? I this is where it gets complicated, right? Like, are, can you catch a charge in the metaverse and then get a subpoena in the real world? Listen, man, they are gonna have you know, these companies like, you know, and I know have the right individuals writing up these contracts and writing up as far as liability and things. They will make sure. I mean, because this thing may get to a point where it's like minority report where you can go to jail for just thinking about crimes. I don't know. You see what I mean? Bro, but how do you think about the slippery slope when we get to more than just like bowling in the metaverse? Right. Or, or having a dance party when we start talking about medical services like. Number one, all of that has to be considered because if you see somebody in the metaverse, then you got to be billed, right? And these people are going to want real money in the real world, most of them. Some of them may want crypto. That's cool, but that's still money. You know what I'm saying? Um, in some form of fashion, right? It's still currency, right? Um, but again, so if you have that, then you have to have limitations and you have to have consequences, right? So how do you handle um malpractice in the metaverse hey listen i'm sure they will as far as liability these companies they will make sure that they're covered as far as oh, well, we know no, that no. now mean, as far listen. as patient as far as patient and client care and eh, maybe not so much but they're going to make sure that they're covered that whatever happens in the metal world that they'll be fine oh you there's know? a lawyer right now writing up a slimy a slimy contract. <laughs> yeah. paper, paper gangsters. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, man, and, I, and I'll end off on this. Listen, the, the psychiatric revolution is coming, man, and, and treatment will never be the same. Like the way that it, it's evolving, um, it's it's coming down, man. It's moving down the pike, and it's a revolution, and we'll see. We'll see, man, how how it you know continues to develop, but uh, like you said, it's definitely going to be a slippery slope. So we'll see how it goes.
Yeah, man, this is an interesting one. We're definitely going to have to follow um, virtual clinics in the metaverse, man. Yeah, man. So uh, with everything, Jay, anything before we get out of here, bro? Uh, not not really. I just, again, we want to thank anybody who takes the time um, out of their week or their day to listen. We really appreciate it. Um, please continue to share the videos, like the videos, send us um, interesting articles or just your feedback. We appreciate it. Um, you know, and again, we just want to thank everybody that takes the time and just I want to remind everybody, make sure you prioritize your mental health. Absolutely. We uh, reiterate everything that Jason said. Um, and thank you for rocking with us. You know, we're at the end of uh, 2021. We appreciate everybody's support, you know, subscribing and listening and watching in any format that you can. Like you said, the statements or uh, the comments, suggestions. We were here for it. We want to hear from you guys, but we definitely appreciate everybody um, hanging out with us and supporting us through this year. And as we go into the next year, we plan on expanding and different ideas um, and different ventures. So we appreciate your support as we continue to move forward. Um, happy New Year in advance to everybody. Um, please be safe. Please stay healthy. Um, again, this variant is no joke. So continue to mask up. Do whatever you need to do to stay safe and to stay healthy. And uh, wishing everybody good mental health as we enter into 2022. Jay, as always, sir. Appreciate it, my man. Let's keep doing it. All right, bro. Have a good right. week, man. I'll let you soon. All right.